Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, and in today's episode, we are going to be recapping all of the college football action from week 8 of the 2022 college football season. And guys, what a weekend it was. And I mean, just so many exciting games. Oklahoma State versus Texas. UCLA traveling up to Eugene, Oregon to take on the Oregon Ducks. Kansas State and TCU on primetime. And just so many more matchups that we're going to be talking about in today's episode. Now, guys, before we do begin and start talking about all of the college football action from week eight, I do want to ask y'all to please make sure that you do like, comment, rate, share, do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast to everybody so that they can stay up to date on any type of football news. And, you know, guys, like I always like to say here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast, I do not want to waste y'all's time, and I don't want to waste my time either. So let's get right into today's episode, and let's talk some college football. And the first game that we had and the first day that we had to kick off Week 8 was on Wednesday. I'm kind of happy that college football, the week start a lot earlier because, you know, towards Normally, the end of the seasons, we always had we would always have Maction, the mid mid American conference with schools like Bowling Green, Toledo, Ohio. You know, they would always kick off the weeks on Wednesday, sometimes even Tuesdays. Weirdly enough. But, you know, to kick off the week on Wednesday night, we had the Georgia State Panthers traveling up to Boone, North Carolina to take on the Appalachian Mountaineer, Appalachian State Mountaineers. And, you know, for App State, really strong start to the season. Despite losing at home to North Carolina in week one, the offense looked amazing. Chase Bryce in that offense looked fantastic. In case you don't know who Chase Bryce is, he's a former uh, Clemson quarterback and Duke starting quarterback. So he does have a ton of veteran experience. And, you know, on the flip side, the defense, they still struggle with a lot of things. They allowed North Carolina to score 63 points. But as we've kind of seen the season progress and everything like that, Drake May and North Carolina, that offense is one of the top offenses in all of the nation as they pretty much average about 45-plus points a game. But, you know, also the ACC, just not that great of a conference this year to begin with. But anyway, in this game, it started off pretty slow for Appalachian State as at the end of the first quarter, Georgia State would actually lead App State 14-0. And going into halftime, App State would only have one score in the first in the first half, and that would be a touchdown in the second quarter. As going into halftime, Georgia State would lead Appalachian State 14-7. But in the second half, things majorly turned around for the better for the Mountaineers as they're starting running back Cameron Peoples, a junior out of Alabama. He had himself an amazing day today, going with 23 rushing attempts on 168 yards rushing and two very important scores for the Mountaineers. It was pretty much their whole offense this game as Chase Bryce would never really get anything going in the air as he would only have as he would only go 7 for 17, 62 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. So not a lot going in the air for the Mountaineers. And then for Georgia State, they were kind of in the same boat. You know, mostly it was their run game that carried them at the beginning of this game. Their starting quarterback, Darren Granger, he would ha he would actually lead the team in rushing yards with 88 rushing yards on 17 carries and for one touchdown. And really a lot of Georgia State's offense mostly came in the first half. Not a lot really happened in the second. They also would have another 90-plus uh, yard rusher in uh, senior running back Tucker Gregg. On the day, he would have 11 attempts for 93 yards rushing and then one touchdown as well as he kind of become probably the best running back in Georgia State history, which I know is not nothing huge, but for them it definitely is. But overall, just a really dominant defensive showing in the second half by, by Appalachian State as they would go on to beat Georgia State 42-17 to as Appalachian State. They get a much-needed win, and they now improve to 4-3. and And Georgia State, they now fall to 2-5 and on the season. And that, guys, that would be our lone game on Wednesday. So now let's go over to Thursday's slated games as we had two pretty decent games, one being a Power 5 game and then the other being a really underrated Sun Belt game. But the first game I want to talk about is going to be the Virginia Cavaliers who have been just been really disappointing this season. Brennan Armstrong has not been able to kind of produce the same production that he did last year for the Cavaliers offense. And then on the flip side, they were traveling to Atlanta to take on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, which Georgia Tech, they just fired Jeff Collins a few weeks back. Jeff Sims has just continued to struggle a lot. You know, there hasn't really been too many bright spots for this team. Yes, they did go into Pitt and Upstate 
and upset the Pitt Panthers, you know, about a week or week or two ago. So, you know, going into this game, not too many positives for any team. I think both are just looking to be able to finally get something going on offense and find something positive about their offenses, whether it resulted in a win or a loss in this game. And, and you know, the funny thing about Georgia Tech is that they currently are 2-1 and one in the ACC, so... They don't have a bad conference record. They're currently at 500 at 3-3. Three and three. So overall, you know, Georgia Tech, they still realistically have a chance of making a bowl game. And then on the flip side for Virginia, they sit at 2-4 and four and then 0-3 and in ACC play. So I'm not going to say it's a long shot for them, but definitely the fact that they already are at 2-4 and four is not looking the greatest for them to make a bowl game. So for Georgia Tech, if they just want to be able to continue to gain some positive momentum for especially next year whenever they do finally get a new head coach. And well, in this game, Georgia Tech's offense was just plain out non-existent as on the day they would have less than 300 total yards of offense about the 280 mark so definitely a rough day for the Yellow Jacket offense and then to make matters worse their defense they played really well against Virginia's high powering offense or you know what most people expected to be and high powering offense with Brendan Armstrong the veteran quarterback for the Cavaliers and on the day Georgia Tech's defense they would have a total of two interceptions one of those actually being the only touchdown that they would have in this game against Virginia so the defense they stepped up when it mattered the most so a lot of credit is definitely deserving to uh, Georgia Tech's defense the only problem is is that starting quarterback for the Yellow Jackets Jeff Sims the former four-star coming out of high school he would go down with another ankle injury and would not return to the game now he did get this injury in the second quarter so he would miss two quarters so in would come Zach Gibson the backup quarterback for the Yellow Jackets and just a really rough day for him as he would go 10 for 25 99 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. And then on the flip side, his counterpart for the Virginia Cavaliers, their starting quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, who going into this season, ton of expectations, threw 31 passing touchdowns last year for the Cavaliers, was one of the more, I mean, at least in my opinion, definitely one of the, had one of the strongest arms in all of college football. And, you know, not the way that this year probably he imagined it would go, you know, only having five touchdowns up, five passing touchdowns at least up to this point in this game against Georgia Tech. And while on the day, despite having a pretty slow start to the game in which he would throw two interceptions early on, he would actually really pick up some of the slack. A lot of it would come in the fact that Brendan's wide receivers, they just could not catch the football in this game. Virginia, for some reason, their wide receivers could not catch the football as on the day Brendan Armstrong, he would go 20 for 35, 255 yards passing with one touchdown, and then those two interceptions we talked about a little bit early on. And then also, he would lead the Cavaliers in rushing with 13 carries for 91 yards rushing, and and then a touchdown as well. And, you know, Brennan's favorite target on this day would be Dontavian Wicks, the starting wide receiver for the Cavaliers. As on the day, Dontavian, he would have four receptions for 99 yards pass or 99 yards receiving. I might as well give him the 100, but then he would also have one very crucial touchdown, which would pretty much be, I think it was the final touchdown of the game. I'd don't remember correctly but I know it was either the second to last or the last touchdown in this game and ultimately it would be the Virginia defense that would heavily step up in the second quarter and I mean they just had sack after sack after sack they were bullying that Georgia Tech offensive line and you know they really carried their offense whenever they couldn't make any production very similar to what Georgia Tech's defense was having to do but ultimately it would be the fact that the few points that Virginia did score more than Georgia Tech would be ultimately why Virginia would win this game. As Virginia, they would go on to beat the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets 16-9. As Virginia, they now improve to 3-4 and on the season. And Georgia Tech, they now fall to 3-4 and despite winning their past two straight games. And, you know, not to kind of throw a jab at the NFL or anything in this game, but watching this game, I really felt like this should have been the Thursday night football game on Amazon Prime rather than the Arizona Cardinals and Saints game because just because it was literally a field goal game because in the second half, there would only be one field goal scored or one field goal scored, and that would be it. There would be no other points in this game after that, after the first half. So just a very slow game, but ultimately, Brennan Armstrong and the Cavaliers, they would be able to pull off the win against Georgia Tech. And now, guys, for our 
final game on Thursday's slate of games that we had was going to be down in, in South Alabama as we had the Troy Trojans taking on South Alabama. And both of these teams going into this game, you know, Troy only had two losses with five wins. And then South Alabama, they had five wins with only one loss. So definitely a big time game in the Sun Belt. And, you know, Sun Belt's actually kind of been an underrated conference so far this year. We've seen the emergence of James Madison from the FCS, which they were able to actually reach into the top 25. I know they would end up losing to Georgia Southern, but they were at least able to make it into the top 25. But these are two very underrated programs right now in the Sun Belt, and this is kind of this has kind of been one of the more newer rivalries. It's called the Battle of the Belt, and well, both of these teams defensively. They played pretty good on the night, just offense. It it just did not come at all as both teams would barely put up over 300 total yards of offense. South Alabama, they would be able to put up about 450, but overall just no points were really no no points were really able to come out of this game as the lone touchdown would come in the second half from Troy's senior running back uh, DK Billingsley as on the day DK he would have 15 attempts for 71 yards rushing and then one touchdown and ultimately that lone touchdown would, would be all that Troy needed I mean they also did need a field goal in the fourth quarter but ultimately Troy they would hang on to actually be able to win the belt down in Mobile Alabama as they would go on to beat the Jaguars of South Alabama 10 to 6 as Troy they now improved to 6 and 2 on the season and South Alabama they now fall to 5 and 2 and that, guys, that would wrap up Thursday's slate of games. My personal favorite had to have been the Georgia Tech and Virginia game just due to the fact that both teams, they struggled so heavily on offense to get anything going, but both of the defenses were very solid. And, I mean, honestly, Georgia Tech, they might have one of the sneakier good defenses in all of college football. I mean, it's weird to say that. I love their linebacker, their linebacking core, Charlie Thomas. Definitely is a, definitely is going to be an intriguing uh, NFL prospect to look at. But overall, not a bad defense by Georgia Tech. They've just got to be able to figure out how they're going to be able to do anything on offense. And then on the flip side for Virginia, Tony Elliott, you know, the former OC at Clemson, he's got to be able to figure out, you know, what does he need to do in order to really prioritize Brennan Armstrong in this offense because, you know, ever since Tony Elliott took over, Brennan Armstrong has just not been the same quarterback. When, Bron when Bronco Mendenhall, he stepped down, you know, it just has not been the same offense for the Virginia Cavaliers. So both teams, they still have a lot of questions after week eight, but it's going to be interesting to see how both teams, they do respond for the rest of the season. But anyway, guys, let's get over to Friday's slate of games. And the first game that I do want to talk about is going to be up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as we had the Tulsa Golden Hurricane taking on the Temple Owls. And for both of these teams, they were really wanting to finally be able to get something going on defense for Tulsa. They took a huge loss in losing their defensive coordinator, TCU, and uh, Joe Gillespie. So they're wanting to finally be able to fulfill that hole. You know, their defense has not been horrible by any means, but still want to be able to make some improvements. And then on the flip side for Temple... They just have not looked good at all this season, whether it's been offensive or defensive. They gave up 70 points last week to UCF, so obviously not the not the exact way you want a game to go. But anyway, going into this game, it actually was a red-hot start for the Temple Owls as Temple would get a pick six early to start off the game, and then they would ultimately lead 10-0 to at the end of the half. But Tulsa, they would start to finally come back as in the second quarter. They would pick up 14 points. As their starting quarterback, Bryn, he would go 15 for 22 on the day, 155 yards passing with two touchdowns and two interceptions on the day as well. And then on the flip side, his counterpart, EJ uh, Warner, who's actually the son of uh, former NFL Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, who actually has some pretty decent arm strength. So definitely expect him to potentially be a quarterback that a lot of teams start to look towards. But anyway, EJ on the day, he would go 23 for 48, 196 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception on the day but the main offensive guy in this game would have to come from Tulsa running back Daneric Prince as on the day Daneric he would have 20 rushing attempts for 231 yards rushing and one touchdown so absolutely a monster day from him as ultimately he would be the main be a major reason and why Tulsa would finally get their first conference win as Tulsa would go on to beat the Temple Owls up in Philadelphia 27 to 16 as Tulsa they now improved to three and four and one and two in AAC play and Temple they now fall to two and five and zero oh and three in AAC play. So just not a just not a great season so far for the Temple Owls. But once again, 
They just do not have a ton of talent really to compete in the AAC. So anyway, guys, and then for the next game that we had on our Friday slate, and actually our final game on our Friday slate, we had the UAB Blazers traveling up to Western Kentucky to take on the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. And definitely have to give a lot of credit to UAB's defense in this game because they were able to actually moderate uh, Western Kentucky transfer quarterback Austin Reed because they only allowed him to be able to get roughly about 150 passing yards on the day as Austin Reed he would go 14 for 23 128 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions but the bad thing for UAB is the fact that they also just could not get anything going in the passing game as they would only have about 100 yards receiving on the day but also UAB their starting running back Dwayne McBride he would have a pretty solid day as he would have 24 rushing attempts for 197 yards rushing. Didn't get a TD on the day, but still got a huge amount of yardage for the Blazers. But ultimately, Western Kentucky would be able to edge out a win as they would get 10 points in the third quarter. And that would be all that they needed to get the win over UAB. And this actually was one of the better games today. I mean, honestly... I watched this game more than I did watch the Temple game just due to the fact that the Temple and Tulsa game, just a lot of sloppy football and a lot of punting, kind of similar to the Virginia and Georgia Tech game. But Western Kentucky, they would hold off the UAB Blazers as they would go on to beat UAB 20-17 to as Western Kentucky, they now improved to 4-3 and on the season. And UAB, they now fall to 4-2. and but anyway, guys, that will wrap up our Friday slate of games. So we already had three days of some pretty, in my opinion, some pretty decent college football. So now let's get over to our best day of college football in week eight. And this obviously is going to be Saturday as we had so many huge matchups as we had Texas taking on Oklahoma State, Alabama and Mississippi State, TCU and Kansas State, and just so many more matchups. But guys, the first game that I want to talk about as we are going to talk about our noon slate of games is going to be the Iowa Hawkeyes taking on the second-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, this game, it would be played up in Columbus. And, you know, for Iowa, they just haven't been able to get anything going offensively. Spencer Petras has been arguably the worst quarterback in all of college football. And then on the flip side, C.J. Stroud for Ohio State, he's been arguably the Heisman favorite so far this season. So, you know, two completely different tales. And obviously in this game, it definitely showed as Iowa, they would only have one touchdown on the day. That would come from a scoop and score on defense. So, once again, Iowa's defense has put up more points than their offense this season. Spencer Petras, he would actually get benched in this game as he would finish the day going 6 for 14, 49 yards passing with zero touchdowns and two interceptions. And then C.J. Stroud, despite throwing an early interception to Iowa, he would absolutely have a phenomenal game going 20 for 30, 286 yards passing with four touchdowns and then one interception on the day. And then for Ohio State, their wide receiver, Julian Fleming, he would lead the team in receiving with two receptions for 105 yards receiving and one touchdown on the day. And ultimately, Ohio State, they would just take, I mean, I mean they just embarrassed Iowa on national television as the Buckeyes would go on to beat the Hawkeyes 54-10 uh, to 10 as Ohio State, they continue to stay undefeated and improve to 7-0. and In Iowa, they now fall to 3-4 and four and arguably are probably the worst offensive team in the nation. Now, guys, for the next game that we're going to talk about on our afternoon slate, we're going to travel out to Clemson, South Carolina, as we had the 14th-ranked Syracuse Orange taking on the 5th-ranked Clemson Tigers. And, well... I think Clemson, honestly, they got exposed for not being a top-five team. Their starting quarterback, DJ Ugalele, he would actually get benched in favor of former five-star quarterback, Cade Klubnik, who actually played really solid in this game. But obviously, the thing that you'll probably hear the most from people is the fact that DJ Ugalele, he just looked completely just... Like, he could not do anything against Syracuse's defense, as on the day, DJ would finish 13 for 21, 138 yards passing with zero touchdowns, and then two interceptions as well. And he also would finish this game with a QBR of 10. So, yeah, just not the best game for DJ. And obviously, I mean, I could, I think most people could tell you this, Kay Klubnik was obviously going to be the future quarterback for the Clemson Tigers. So, it's going to be interesting to see how Dabo Sweeney, he handles this whole situation, you know, with his veteran quarterback versus, obviously, the future at quarterback for Clemson. I think that, honestly, DJ Ugalele, he'll finish out the rest of the year, but I do expect him to probably enter the transfer portal and head out back west to where he's from. So just something to kind of monitor a little bit as well. 
But then on the flip side for Syracuse, you know, not a bad game, honestly. There was a lot of que- there was a lot of questionable playing calling. They didn't get their star running back, Sean Tucker, involved as much as I think a lot of Syracuse people wanted. As Sean Tucker on the day, he would only have five carries for 54 yards rushing and zero touchdowns on the day. Garrett Schrader, actually, their starting quarterback, the former Mississippi State quarterback, he would lead the team in passing and rushing as he'd go 18 for 26, 167 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Uh, when it came to rushing-wise, he was also able to, he was also pretty effective on the ground. Had 21 carries for 71 yards rushing and then one touchdown. But ultimately, after a very strong fourth quarter by the Clemson Tigers, which was led mostly by their star running back, Will Shipley, who had an amazing run to get them back on the board and actually give them the lead as Will Shipley. He would have a career day as he'd have 27 carries for 172 yards rushing and two touchdowns. So really, Will Shipley had to have been the star of this game. And ultimately, Clemson, they would hold on to beat the Syracuse Orange. Barely, I mean, this was not a game that I think Clemson fans should be proud of by any means for barely beating a team. Nothing against Syracuse, but obviously they do have one of the weaker schedules in all of college football, especially at the Power 5 level. So the fact that a team like Clemson, who is currently top 5, everybody's expecting them to be something great and amazing. You know, they barely were able to compete with the Syracuse team that was actually shooting themselves in the foot with as many penalties as they had. So just one of those games where I think, I think honestly, Clemson, they finally got exposed for, you know, being what they really are. And that's the fact that they're just, they don't have the same offense that they've had in past years. They don't have the same wide receiver talent. You know, you don't have, you don't have T. Higgins no more. You don't have Justin Ross. You don't have all of these guys no more. And also, especially quarterback play. You don't have you don't have Taj Boyd. You don't have Trevor Lawrence. You don't have Deshaun Watson. You know, you don't have all these star quarterbacks anymore. And nothing against DJ Ugalele, but I just he's never really been able to produce ever since his freshman year. And honestly, I think that's why Clemson they're gonna probably end up turning the book to their uh, freshman quarterback and Kate Klubnik. So just something to kind of monitor for all you Clemson fans out there. But anyway, despite that, Clemson they would get the win against Syracuse, 27 to 21. As Clemson, they now remain undefeated and improved to eight and zero. And then for the Q's, they they get handed unfortunately their first loss of the season as they fall to six and one. But still, I think they are definitely a top twenty-five team and definitely deserve to stay in that top twenty-five. And now, guys, we're gonna head out and we're gonna stay. We're gonna stay kind of on the east, the east coast, but we're gonna go over to Tennessee, most specifically Knoxville, Tennessee, as we had UT Martin taking on the third-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. And y'all could probably guess how this game went. Hendon Hooker, he had himself an amazing day against the Skyhawks, as he'd go 18 for 24, 276 yards passing, with three touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. And then kind of an emerging star for the Volunteers, and that comes in the form of their wide receiver, Jalen Hyatt, who had an, I mean, monster game against Alabama last week where he put up five receiving touchdowns and just absolutely balled out of his mind. And he did a, he kind of had a similar game. Now as many touchdowns, so, you know, he had to kind of simmer down. But even though it was three less, still very impressive. But Jalen Hyatt on the day, he would have seven receptions for 174 yards receiving and two touchdowns as Hendon Hooker would lead the Tennessee Volunteers to a 65-24 to win over the UT Martin Skyhawks. Obviously, not a big-time matchup, but still got to report on it a little bit because, you know, it is still a big-time game, obviously involving the third-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. But anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to be talking about, we're going to go back down south. We're going to go most specifically to Dallas, Texas, as we had the 21st-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats taking on SMU at SMU's uh, homecoming. So, and for both of these teams, uh, you know, SMU, their offense came out of the season really strong. They looked really good. Tanner Mordecai, he looked fantastic at the start of the year, but it started to kind of regress, most specifically against TCU, um, obviously UCF, and a couple other teams. So he hasn't looked like the Tanner Mordecai that a lot of Mustang fans got used to seeing. And then on the flip side for Cincinnati, when you lose nine key players to the draft last year, you know, with guys like Sauce Gardner, Desmond Ritter, you know, there's going to be a lot of huge gaps that need to get filled, and most specifically was at the quarterback position, and definitely quarterback play showed a lot in this game as Ben Bryant, the who was the backup quarterback and is now the starter for Cincinnati this year, he would go 18 for 35 on the day, 200 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions, but Cincinnati, they were able to really get it going on the ground as their senior running back, Charles McClint, 
McClendon. I might have I might have butchered that. I'm so sorry if I did, but he would have 34 rushing attempts for 266 yards rushing and two touchdowns, and he would be the key point of the Cincinnati offense today against the SMU Mustangs. And then now we'll talk a little bit about SMU because Tanner Mordecai, he's kind of started to become a lot more mortal. And a lot of people thought he was immortal. He's one of the best passing quarterbacks in all of college football. Well, he had a really rough day today as he would go 15 for 25, 105 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. And I don't remember if it was exactly due to injury reasons or they just benched him because just poor performance. But he would eventually get benched for, for former four-star quarterback Preston Stone, who a lot of people are high about, myself included, when he was coming out of Parish Episcopal High, uh, high School out in Dallas. So... But on the day, Preston Stone, he didn't look horrible. I wouldn't say great, but definitely not a bad game by any means, especially for this first real time getting a lot of action as he'd go 6 for 15, 74 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception on the day. And ultimately, another huge factor in why SMU would lose this game, despite a late comeback attempt in the fourth, was the fact that they were never able to get their star wide receiver, Rasheed Rice, going. Very similar to last week against Navy. He barely put up 50 receiving yards. And then today, he didn't even get 50 receiving yards. He's not getting targeted as much. But also, he has been having some drop issues. So, just really concerning times right now in SMU as they now fall to 3-4. and four. And Cincinnati, they now improved to 6-1 and one after they would go into SMU and beat SMU in their homecoming game. 29-27. to 27. So, great win for the Bearcats despite playing really sloppy. Both teams... They, they both are really sloppy. Not a lot of positives for either of them to take, but definitely Cincinnati, they just made a few less mistakes than uh, SMU did. And now, guys, for our next game on our noon slate of games that we're going to be talking about, we're going to go down to New Orleans as we had the 25th-ranked Tulane Green Wave taking on the Memphis Tigers. And Tulane, they've kind of been a surprise, you know, you know, had an incredible upset win against Kansas State in Manhattan a few weeks ago to kick off the season. And they've secretly been one of the better teams in college football the past few weeks. And they were going up against, in my opinion, a pretty solid team in Memphis. By no means is Memphis a game that you just want to scratch over and kind of ignore. And Tulane, they just looked very dominant in this in this game. I mean, their offense looked really good. Their running back, Ty J. Spears, he would have, he would have uh, oh my gosh, I can't even talk. My bad. Let me let me let me look at my stats real quick. He would have 125 rushing yards on the day. He would have one touchdown as well, as he would lead the Tulane Green Wave over the Memphis Tigers, 38 to 25. As Tulane, they now improve to seven and one, and Memphis, they now fall to four and four. And now, guys, we're gonna stay in the South, but we're gonna go over a little bit West. As and this would be a Big 12 matchup that we had, as we had the Kansas Jayhawks, who are coming off two straight losses to TCU and Oklahoma, as they're traveling down to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears, who are a top 25 team to start the year. Lost at BYU. You know, just they've kind of been struggling. They haven't really been able to find an identity. And definitely in this game, they were kind of able to really get stuff going, especially on offense early on in the game. As Richard Reese, he would have an amazing game today against the uh, the Kansas Jayhawks as he would have 31 carries for 186 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the day. So really solid performance by him. But Baylor's offense was just non-existent in the second half because they would only put up seven points total in the second half despite leading at halftime 28-3 to over the Kansas Jayhawks who just continue to struggle majorly on offense without having their star quarterback in Jalen Daniels. Jason Bean, he didn't have a bad game by any means. He'd go 16 for 27, 232 yards passing with one touchdown and no interceptions, but definitely didn't help him either the fact that just his offense was never able to get anything going. Devin Neal, Kansas' top running back, he would only have 32 rushing yards on the day, which is not something you really want out of one of your best offensive weapons. But ultimately, Baylor would survive against Kansas late in the game, especially their late comeback push that it looked like Kansas could potentially be able to go down to Waco and beat the Baylor Bears. But Baylor, they would survive as they'd go on to beat the Kansas Jayhawks 35-23 to as Baylor, they now improved to 4-3. and And Kansas, they now fall to 5-3. and So definitely... And unfortunately, I hate to say it, but I think the whole Cinderella run with the Kansas Jayhawks, I don't want to say it's officially over, but it's its pretty much over. So, unfortunately, rest in peace to Kansas and the dream season that they had. But, hey, y'all at least did get college game day to go up to Lawrence for a game, which my, my TCU Horn Frogs were involved in that, and we ultimately got the win. But, anyway, outside of that, 
the next game, guys, that I want to talk about, we're going to stay in the South and kind of one of our last games that we're going to talk about in our noon slate. And it's going to be the Duke Blue Devils taking on the Miami Hurricanes. And you're probably wondering, why would I care? Like, why, why, why would I really care about this game? Well, it's for the fact that Miami got blown out by Duke 45-21. to Man, what is going on right now in Miami? Mario Cristobal was supposed to be the savior, the lord and savior of the Miami Hurricanes. And man, are they needing the actual lord and savior because just offensively, they're not able to get anything going. Both of their quarterbacks, Jake Garcia and Tyler Van Dyke, have just looked horrendous. Jake Garcia, he would go 13 for 21 in this game, 198 yards passing with two touchdowns and three interceptions. And on the flip side, Tyler Van Dyke, when he was in this game, he would go 11 for 16, 81 yards passing with one touchdown. Didn't get any interceptions, but still just not a great game at all. And, man, you know, and the the funniest part is Duke's offense was just not that dominant. It was really their defense that absolutely had a field day against the Miami Hurricanes as Duke would have five fumble recoveries on the day. Five. I mean, what is going on right now down in Miami? I mean, it's just... If I'm a Miami fan, and, and, you know, not to mention, too, they also had three interceptions on the day, and one of them was a pick six. I mean, what is going on right now down in Miami? A team that a lot of people had so high hopes of, me especially, because I thought getting a guy like Mario Cristobal would be able to change the culture. But it's starting to look like maybe Manny Diaz wasn't necessarily the only problem that's going on in Miami right now. I mean... Obviously, I know it's the first year for Mario Cristobal. Those aren't all his recruits and everything like that. So I'll cut him a tad bit of slap. But when you get blown out by Middle Tennessee State and then you get blown out by a Duke Blue Devil team in football, yeah, not a good look. But Miami, they now fall to 3-4. and four, And Duke, they now improve to 5-3 and three, as Duke would go on to beat the Miami Hurricanes, who, let me mind you, were a preseason top 25 team. 45 to 21 so yeah just a bunch of chaos that was going on in college football today but now guys we're going to switch over to our midday slated games and the first game i want to talk about is going to be the unlv rebels traveling out to south bend to take on the notre dame fighting irish on notre dame oh notre dame notre dame notre dame they're coming off a just really disappointing loss against stanford last week at home so they're looking to bounce back against a pretty a pretty weak opponent in unlv and that's exactly what they did as michael mayer he would have a field day on the rebels defense as he would have six receptions for 115 yards receiving and one touchdown as notre dame they would go on to beat unlv Oh Lord, I just lost the score. Give me, give me, give me two, 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 give me two seconds. Uh, as, as Notre Dame, they would go on to beat UNLV, forty-four to twenty-one. Now, guys, for the next game that we're going to talk about in our midday slated games, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go down south a little bit. We're going to go out to West Texas as we had the West Virginia Mountaineers, led by their transfer quarterback JT Daniels, taking on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And well, uh, Texas Tech had their way with this team. All day today, it was never really a close game one bit as Texas Tech senior wide receiver Xavier White, he would have a field day against West Virginia's pretty weak secondary as he would have eight receptions for 139 yards receiving and one touchdown. And also I want to give a shout out to to, um, Texas Tech freshman quarterback Baron Baron Morton as he also had a pretty solid day. He had a pretty solid day as well against Oklahoma State a few weeks ago. But on the day, he would go 28 for 45, 325 yards passing with two touchdowns at zero interceptions. And, you know, also on the flip side, I talked a little bit about JT Daniels. And, well, JT Daniels, he also majorly struggled in this game as well as he would go 23 for 36, 194 yards passing with one touchdown and then three just very costly interceptions as Texas Tech would go on go on to blow out the West Virginia Mountaineers in Lubbock. 48 to 10 as Texas Tech they now improved to four and three and West Virginia they now fall to three and four and now guys we're going to head out to Eugene Oregon for our next game which was a spot of college game day for this weekend as we had the ninth ranked UCLA Bruins taking on the 10th ranked Oregon Ducks and man what an improvement Bo Nix has been for this Oregon team as on the day Bo Nix would absolutely go off against a pretty weak UCLA Bruins defense as he would go 22 for 28, 283 yards passing 
with five touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean, just what a day for Bo Nix, the transfer quarterback from Auburn. And also his leading wide receiver in this game would be sophomore wide receiver Troy Franklin. As Troy on the day, he would have a pretty solid day as well. Definitely helping out Bo Nix a little bit. As Troy, he would go. He would have eight receptions for 132 yards receiving and two touchdowns. And I, I mean, really, I think Bo Nix has had some of the best improvement that we've seen all season. Not a Heisman candidate by any means, but definitely after a really weak week one against the Georgia Bulldogs, him and his Oregon team have bounced back beyond belief, you know, blowing out a ranked BYU team at the time. And now they're, they just beat the absolute breaks off of a pretty solid UCLA team. Now, UCLA being in the top 10, I didn't necessarily felt like they deserved to be in it. No, nothing against them. They might be a little bit biased because of my Horn Frogs, but I just I think that their offense can't single-handedly win for this team like cuz their defense no offense is just not that great but their offense their offense didn't have a horrible day by any means Dorian Thompson Robinson the 16th year quarterback for the UCLA Bruins he would go 27 for 39 262 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception so he kind of came back down to reality a tad bit but um for rushing wise though the Michigan transfer running back for him Zach Charbonnet he who I personally like a ton especially because he's very elusive and physical he would have a really good day as he'd have 20 carries for 151 yards rushing and one touchdown but ultimately Bo Nix and his efforts on offense would lead this Oregon team to a technically an upset win over UCLA as Bo Nix and the Oregon Ducks would go on to beat UCLA 45 to 30 is Oregon they now improved to 6 of 1 on the season and UCLA they get handed their first loss of the year and they now fall to 6 and 1 so I mean just what a weekend of college football that we had and it only got even better and now we're going to go out to what's quote unquote the country's best homecoming out in Stillwater Oklahoma as we had the 20th ranked Texas Longhorns taking on the 11th ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys and Oklahoma State coming off a really disappointing loss last week in Fort Worth against TCU. You know, they led by a ton at halftime, gave up a just a buttload of points, really conservative play calling, Spencer Sanders not being 100%. You know, there's a lot of things that they could put the blame on, but ultimately they just did not show up in crunch time when it mattered the most. And then for Texas, you know, for them personally, they're coming off a really strong week last – not really strong, I take that back – uh, offensively, they kind of didn't look their best against the Iowa State defense. I, th I was thinking they'd played West Virginia last week. My bad, guys. But, you know, they're coming off a week uh, where they just could not get anything really going against Iowa State's defense. They only put up 21 points or 24 points. And it's definitely not the Texas that we got used to seeing, you know, against uh, against uh, OU, West Virginia. And, well, Quinn Ewers definitely is human. I want to make sure everybody knows that because, man, did he make some crucial mistakes for the Texas Longhorns today, including a game-losing interception. As Quinn Ewers on the day, he would go 19 for 49, 319 yards passing with two touchdowns and three interceptions. But Bijan Robinson, the star running back for the Longhorns, he still would absolutely give Oklahoma State some major fits on the day as Bijan, he would finish his day going 24, or he'd have 24 carries for 140 yards rushing and one touchdown. So a really solid day for Bijan Robinson, who, in my opinion, is probably going to be a top 10 pick in the 2023 NFL draft. And we'll... Got to show some love to Spencer Sanders because he did play a really good ball game today. Not his best, but a really good one as he would go 34 for 57, 391 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception on the day. And, well, Oklahoma State, they just – I mean, they just really had their way offensively against this Texas defense, which a lot of people expected to be really stout in this game. I did too personally. I thought Texas would be able to go into Oklahoma, go into Stillwater, Oklahoma, and beat the Cowboys, but I was wrong, and I'll admit that. So ultimately, Oklahoma State, they would hold off a late comeback attempt. Not late comeback attempt because technically – Oklahoma State, they came back in the fourth quarter, but they were able to hold Texas to zero points in the fourth quarter and pretty much control Quinn Ewers all day as Oklahoma State, they would go on to beat Texas 41-34 to as Oklahoma State, they get a much-needed bounce-back win as they now improve to 6-1. and in Texas, they now fall to 5-3, and and I think any chances of them potentially making the college football playoff, uh, they need to say bye-bye to that because no offense, Texas does not belong in the college football playoffs. So. But anyway, guys, Oklahoma State would be able to manage a win against a really solid Texas squad, who I think they're still good, but obviously a lot of things they still need to work on. But 
Anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to be talking about as we travel out to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and what was arguably the biggest upset game of the weekend as we had the 7th-ranked Ole Miss Rebels taking on the unranked LSU Tigers. And, well, let me just tell y'all, first and foremost, Jaden Daniels, and I, and I keep saying this in every episode, is an amazing quarterback. He has not been the reason why LSU has struggled so far this year. If anything, he's a few reasons why they've been able to kind of compete in certain games. But, man, did LSU offensively just give this Ole Miss team so many fits. As Jaden Daniels on the day, he would ball out in the air and on the ground because Jaden Daniels on the ground today, who's the starting quarterback for LSU, he would have 23 carries for 121 yards rushing and three touchdowns. And, yes, that is a quarterback that was able to put up those type of rushing stats. And he was also able to get it going through the air as well. He'd go 21 for 28, 248 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. And, man, what a day it was for Jaden Daniels. And um, and then on the flip side for the Ole Miss Rebels, their starting quarterback and their transfer quarterback as well from USC, uh, Jackson Dart, he didn't look his best at, like, at all during this game. He'd go 19 for 34, 284 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. And ultimately, Ole Miss – they, or not Ole Miss, LSU, they just really had their way against the Rebels in this game, especially on defense, as they were able to get at least one interception on the day. And they just really, I mean, they limited a lot of the strengths of this Ole Miss team, and most of their strengths came in the run game. We all knew that Ole Miss, they have like a quadruple-headed monster at running back with guys like Zach Evans, Judkins, uh, Ulysses Bentley, the SMU transfer running back, and they held him to only 100 rushing yards on the day, which is really good, and if you're going to be able to beat this Ole Miss team, that's what you have to do, and that's exactly what LSU would do, as they would blow out the Ole Miss Rebels 45-20 to down in Death Valley, as LSU, they now improved to 6-2, and and are likely going to be headed back into the top 25, and Ole Miss, they now fall to 7-1, and and are handed their first loss, and I talked a little bit about it in the preview. Like, this was going to be a trap game for Ole Miss. I mean, this is their first real, like, real game because it's going to be a way you're going to be in a hostile environment in Death Valley, which is one of the hardest, hardest places in all of college football to play. And they just didn't show up. And no offense, nothing against Ole Miss, but I think you put them up against quality competition and they're not going to be able to compete. So, but Ole Miss, they fall to 7-1. and one. LSU, they improved to 6-2. and two. Ole Miss will probably still be in the top 25. But LSU, they will likely be headed back in to the top 25 so but anyway guys that'll wrap up our uh late afternoon early evening slated games so now let's go talk about our evening slated games and we only have a few we're going to talk about i don't want to talk about every single individual game because i don't want to keep y'all here forever but the first game that i do want to talk about is going to be the texas a&m aggies who are looking to really get a very impressive win especially at south especially in columbia but um, they would go out to Columbia, South Carolina to take on the South Carolina Gamecocks. And, um, well, Jimbo Fisher, I don't really know what to tell you because apparently your methods are just not working right now for this Aggie team. And, you know, I really feel bad for guys like Devon A. Chain, who still played really decent in this game, had 20 carries for 99 yards rushing and one touchdown. Evan Stewart, the former five-star wide receiver, one of the best wide receivers in the 2022 class. He also would he he almost would, he also would put up 87 uh, receiving yards on the day. But um just I mean man, just A&M, just something's not clicking on offense. I really I really can't tell you something is not clicking on offense whether it's quarterback play with Haynes King who played really horrendously today as he goes 17 for 32, 178 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. And Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler didn't even play that good either, so I'm not going to act like he was fantastic in this game as he'd go 12 for 25, 168 yards passing, didn't get a touchdown, and didn't get an interception. So I guess an improvement for Spencer Rattler in his own self, but just really kind of frustrating. I know A&M fans, they're not happy right now. They should not be at 3-4 and four with the amount of talent that they have on this team, the amount of money that they've spent to get this team, whether it's NIL deals, whatever you got it. I mean, who cares? Every college and every college in, in the country spending money on NIL to get these kids. But for the fact that how much A&M has put money-wise and resources into this football team and they're currently sitting at 3-4 and four and are likely going to be make, going to like a just a really small bowl game like the Liberty Bowl, you know, AutoZone Bowl, something like that when this team should have been competing for New York Six Bowl games. So 
Just really tough times right now in A&M as they would fall to the South Carolina Gamecocks 30-24 to as A&M, like I said, they now fall to 3-4. and And South Carolina, they somehow improve now to 5-2, and which no offense when you watch this team, they don't look like a 5-2 and team. But, I mean, hey, South Carolina, y'all are 5-2. and And, you know, for all you A&M fans out there, you're wondering how can we buy out Jimbo Fisher? Well, if you just have a casual $95 million hanging around, you can definitely buy him out. So, yeah, definitely, definitely was not the smartest investment giving that man that much money. But anyway, Texas A&M, they continue to struggle on offense as they fall to South Carolina in Columbia. And now, guys, for the next game that we have on our evening slate of games, we're going to stick in the SEC as we have the 24th-ranked Mississippi State Bulldogs taking on the 6th-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa. And, well, safe to say that Nick Saban was not happy about last week's performance up in Knoxville, and they definitely were definitely needed to be able to release some uh, just, you know, just some just some stress and some anger and everything like that. And that's exactly what they did on a pretty decent Mississippi State team. As they would hold Mississippi State to only uh, one touchdown on the day. And they didn't even get the extra point for it. And so really a rough day for the Bulldogs as their only points would come in the fourth quarter. And they'd be shut out through three. Alabama, Bryce Young. Bryce Young had a pretty solid day, going 21 for 35, 249 yards passing with two touchdowns and no interceptions. So overall, a really good day for him. And, well, I mean, Alabama, they didn't really have to do too much on defense because – or not defense. They didn't really have to do too much on offense because their defense, they picked up a lot of slack for this team. So Alabama, they were going to absolutely just blow out Mississippi State – 30 to 6 is Alabama. They now improved to 7 and 1. And Mississippi State, they now fall to 5 and 3 and likely also fall out of the top 25. Now, guys, for the next game that we have, we're going to transfer over to the ACC Conference as we had another ranked game as we had the Boston College Eagles, who have been one of the biggest disappointments this year so far. I mean, they have potentially two NFL guys in Phil Jerkovich, their starting quarterback, and Zay Flowers, their star wide receiver. And they currently sit at a two and five record. So yeah, not definitely not the start that I know a lot of Boston College fans wanted. And then on the flip side for Wake Forest, they're, they were currently sitting at five and one. And you know, they pre, they played pretty well. I know there's a lot of early season drama with Sam Hartman and his medical condition, but once he came back, this team didn't skip a beat at all. And they did the same thing in this today against a very weak Boston College defense. As on the day, Sam Hartman he would go off, going 25 for 40. 313 yards passing with five touchdowns and one interception on the day as he would lead his Wake Forest Demon Deacons to a 43-15 win over the Boston College Eagles. As once again, like I said, Wake Forest, they improved to 6-1. And, and then Boston College, they now fall to 2-5. and five. And now, guys, we're gonna st- we're gonna start to kind of slowly wrap things up. But one of our final games that we're gonna talk about, and arguably one of the biggest games of the weekend, was the 17th-ranked Kansas State Wildcats traveling down to Fort Worth, Texas, to take on the 8th-ranked TCU Horn Frogs. And well, um, Kansas State absolutely demolished TCU in the first half. You know, me personally being at the game, I can tell you up close and personal, just Kansas State. Despite not having Adrian Martinez, who left the game with some type of lower body injury, I don't know exactly, but he would only be in the game for one play on the day. So, def- or not one play, like one or two plays, but definitely something concerning for the Kansas State Wildcats. But, I mean, man, did Kansas State just have their way with TCU in the first half, as they would actually lead TCU 28-17 to going into halftime. But... TCU, they would pick up a ton of the slack in the second half as Ken, as they'd be led by their star running back, Kendra Miller. As Kendra Miller on the day, he would have 29 carries for 153 yards rushing and then two huge important touchdowns for the Horned Frogs. Max Duggan, who by no means had a great first half, but definitely stepped up when it mattered the most in the third, or not the third, the second half. He would he would go 17 for 26, 280 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. And, you know, for Kansas State, biggest thing was the fact they were able to shut down this TCU offense in the first half. I mean, they only allowed 17 points, which is definitely something a lot of teams have not been able to do outside of Oklahoma State. Deuce Vaughn, he also was really solid in the first half, having 12 carries for 83 yards rushing and one touchdown. But kind of similar to this uh, Kansas State offense in the second half, TCU flipped the roles. They got shut down completely 
as Kansas State, they would get shut out in the second half, not putting up a field goal touchdown. They would actually miss a field goal. They would literally miss a wide-open touchdown. So mistakes and injuries really killed this Kansas State team. They had every opportunity to beat TCU in this game, but ultimately TCU, they would thankfully take their second chance that they were given, and they would go on to beat the Kansas State Wildcats 38-28 to in what was just an amazing game. Kansas State... I give them a lot of credit. They still deserve to be a top 25 team. You know, losing a guy like Adrian Martinez, who's a very proven uh, veteran quarterback, is something that you hate to have. And obviously, you could definitely tell a lot with just not having a guy like him. It really impacted them a ton. So, But outside of that, I think Kansas State, they're really still a solid team. And I think they definitely will be able to give a lot of people a ton of fits in the Big 12. But anyway, TCU, they remain undefeated as they now improve to 7-0 and and 7-0 and in the Sonny Dykes era. So Sonny Dykes, he's definitely changing a lot of things down there in Fort Worth. And then for Kansas State, they now fall to 5-2 and with this only being their second loss of the season. So like I said, I mean, there's not a lot I can really say against Kansas State. They're a really solid team. They dealt with a lot of injury issues today, but ultimately – TCU would get the better of them at the end. And now, guys, for our final game that we're going to talk about from week eight of the 2022 college football season, we're going to be talking about a primetime matchup as we had the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who had a really strong start to the year and then just completely have fallen off these past few weeks as they traveled out to Happy Valley to take on the 16th ranked Penn State Nittany Lions and Penn State coming off an upset or not an upset loss coming off a blowout loss at Michigan last week they wanted revenge and definitely in this game they definitely got the revenge as Nick Singleton the star freshman running back for the Penn State Nittany Lions he finally would have a bounce back game as he would have 13 carries for 79 yards rushing and two touchdowns Sean Clifford, who's been at Penn State for what feels like 75 years, he also would be able to have a pretty solid bounce-back game, going 23 for 31, 295 yards passing with four touchdowns and one interception on the day. And, um, you know, for Minnesota, the biggest thing is they didn't have their veteran quarterback as well, Tanner Morgan, who kind of similar to Sean Clifford, has felt like he's been in college football for the past 75 years. But um, their star running back, Mo Ibrahim, he still was able to get things going on the ground. 30 carries for 102 yards and one touchdown. But ultimately, just the fact that they did not have great quarterback play as their backup quarterback, uh, Ethan Kalik Manis. And I know I just butchered that completely, but Ethan on the day, he would not look that great. Not really one bit at all as he'd go 9 for 22, 175 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. As Penn State, they would go on to dominate the Minnesota Golden Gophers. 45 to 17 is Penn State. They finally get back in the win column as they now improve to six and one. In Minnesota, they unfortunately now drop to four and three after a top 25 start to the season. So, yeah, definitely a rough time right now to be a Golden Gopher fan. But anyway, guys, thank y'all so much for listening to my recap of Week Eight of the 2022 college football season. Let me know what y'all's favorite games were. Mine had to have easily been going to the Kansas State and TCU game. Some of the most electric college football that I've ever watched personally. But obviously, y'all let me know whether it's on TikTok, Instagram, or just here on the podcast. Just let me know what y'all's personal favorite game that was that y'all watched over the weekend. And um, just, I mean, seriously, guys, thank y'all for all the support that y'all have shown on every single podcast, every single Instagram post, every single TikTok post. Thank y'all so much for being the amazing supporters that y'all are. And also, guys, make sure to check out the NFL Week 7 recap that will be coming out on Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central Time. So definitely something you're going to want to check out if you want to stay up to date with all of the NFL games and news. So anyway, guys, thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. And I will catch you all back here on Thursday for NFL Week 7 recap. So I'll see you all guys then and have an amazing rest of y'all's weekend. Peace, y'all.